You're listening to Revolver Podcasts. Good afternoon. A San Antonio district judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. State District Judge Angus McGinty is at the center of an investigation today involving the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin, and it cost him his freedom, his livelihood, his bench, and law license. Since pleading guilty, he's refused to talk about the details of his criminal case. Until now. I did it because I was foolish. And that one little mistake that I made, that I never really intended to make, but I did, cost me everything. Everything. But this is not just the story of a single judge taking a one-time bribe. You see, during the FBI's corruption investigation back in 2014, agents recorded attorney Al Acevedo on his cell phone, boasting he was bribing several state judges. Only McGinty was charged and prosecuted. That's because the FBI's undercover operation was compromised when word of the investigation was leaked to the very judges who it was targeting. The names of other judges and bribes they allegedly took have been kept sealed in secret FBI and court files, with many of those judges still on the bench. But I've obtained those secret files, and the truth of the courthouse corruption scandal, and exactly who was involved, will finally be revealed. I'm investigative reporter Brian Collister, and this is How to Bribe a Judge, the podcast. If you got chains... He's a chain breaker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need healing or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. You got chains. Well, he's a chain breaker. During his nearly two years in prison, former Judge Angus McGinty was the lead singer in the prison band, singing gospel songs many of which reflected his own fall from grace. In this episode, I continue my conversation with the former judge about the corruption charge against him that he went to prison for. I also disclose now the documents, secret documents still sealed by a federal court, many of which are from the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office. These documents are much more detailed about what McGinty was accused of doing while he was on the bench. So I've been able to obtain a large portion of your court file, which includes the sealed documents from the FBI investigation. You have seen those, I would assume, since they were in your file? Most of them, yes. Are there some you may not have seen? Yes. Why wouldn't you, why do you think you wouldn't have seen some of them? I don't know if everything was shown to me by my previous lawyers. Um, I can't vouch for whether or not they showed me everything. I'd like to think that I, um, at least for my appellate lawyer, saw most of the things. So tell me what the difference uh, was for you when you decided you were going to try to appeal. And in, in terms of your awareness of what all was in the government's file. So I became aware of the possibility that Alan and Jay had a conflict uh, with me 
I didn't know that they were also part of the same investigation that I was under. And once I learned that from a confidential source, I asked the judge in my case, Xavier Rodriguez, I asked to, for him to let me, um, if he would appoint me a lawyer from out of town. Um, and so he did. And so I was appointed someone from Austin, David Gonzalez. And what was your appeal based on with your previous attorneys? What were you claiming? We were claiming massive conflict of interest as well as a demonstrable instance of uh, a failure for them to defend me. Now, before we go further, I just want to say for listeners that the government has said no, that was not the case. This went to the Supreme Court. They did not, they denied to hear it, meaning they didn't buy it. But this is your argument and the argument that you unsuccessfully made. Yes, that's correct. When I realized that Alan and Jay were involved in the same investigation that I was in and they didn't disclose that to me, and neither did the government. Now, what do you mean they were involved? They were, from the documents that I saw later, they were accused of influencing judges at the courthouse, and they were part of the same investigation with the same FBI agent that I was. Now, I've read these documents, and that accusation of influencing judges, of course, inferring that it's corrupt influence, came from Al Acevedo, the target of of this entire investigation, at least where it started. That's correct. Since then, it's been um, corroborated through some other witnesses. What's been corroborated? Alan and Jay's uh, allegedly corruptive influence with judges at the courthouse. Now, again, we have to say they've never been charged with anything. They have never publicly been disciplined by the state bar. This is... Again, Angus McGinty talking about his appeal, and you obviously have a right to, to frame it whichever way you want to, but the, the public record we just need to be clear about, but go ahead. So when I learned that they were part of the same investigation that I was in, I questioned their loyalty in defending me. And one of the first things I did with the appellate lawyer that um, Judge Rodriguez let me have, he showed me what I had previously not been able to uh, access, and that is Alan and Jay never filed one single legal document in my case. Not one. Uh, David Gonzalez showed me and he's your appellate lawyer. Appellate lawyer, the one who handled the case. He showed me that that my case. He he got onto the federal um, website that lets you access the federal documents. I never had access to that, and so he showed me that the government had filed various things, and there was a ledger, and on one side was everything the government had filed, and on the other side it was blank. And David was very surprised at that, that nothing 
was filed. In fact, in one of his legal arguments that he made on my behalf, uh, he accurately stated that Alan Brown and Jay Norton did no legal work for me. Which I'm sure they would object to strenuously and, and say that they did. Well, if they were here, if they were here, maybe they would say that their talking is somehow legal work and maybe it is. But if you don't file anything to contest what the government is alleging, to me, that is, in my opinion, malpractice. And while you uh, while you're talking, I'm sitting here looking at a stack of documents that I've briefly shown you some of and. I cannot recall seeing anything that they filed to counter any document that the government claimed. Not that this file is complete, but the only thing in here that I've seen you filed when you were representing yourself. Yes. I did more legal work than my lawyers did. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, your claim that they were involved in the implicated in this uh, investigation. What these documents show, again, these are still sealed by a federal court and came into my possession through a source. Uh, but what these documents show is that at some point, Al Acevedo, when the FBI approached him and said, we got you on wiretaps, he made a claim that your attorneys, uh, Jay Norton and Alan Brown, have more influence, or at least the same, if not more, influence with judges at the, at the Vera County Courthouse. And, of course, he was inferring that that would be corrupt influence. That's what you're saying that you were unaware of until you got to the point of the appeal process. Correct. That is correct. I didn't. They never shared it with you? No, they never shared it with me. And, and once more, I didn't select Alan and Jay to be my lawyers. That's a little, that's a little misleading. Yes, I approved the two of them to defend me. But before I was accused, they both, Jay actually came to me and said he was going to defend me. He and Alan were going to defend me because they'd known me for such a long time and no one could do it as well as they could. It would be their honor to defend me. And they know that it's, the accusations are wrong and they value me as not only a judge, but as a friend and they love me as a friend, and they will take care of me. It was a passionate plea for them to be able to defend me and see this egregious wrong uh, straightened out. So had I known they were lying, that they were really just wanting to steer the boat, so to speak, that they were involved in being investigated by the same agent that I was, I would not have wanted them to be my lawyer. Now, looking at these documents, there's a couple of things I want to say to you in response uh, to get your side uh, and actually to also put in their side of things. Uh, the FBI agent says they looked into um, Al Acevedo's claim and your claims um, about their potential influence uh, at the courthouse, and there was insufficient evidence and that the the prosecutor who handled this declined to charge them with anything. Yeah, I understand that. Um, 
That doesn't mean that there isn't evidence. But I can't, I can't refute what they're claiming. They're, they're the ones who are going to claim it's sufficient or not. I can't argue with their, with their conclusions because I don't know what they did. <laughs> right. Um, Jay and Alan, uh, your attorneys, Jay Norton and Alan Brown, in the, these sealed documents, there are um, documents that your appeal attorney submitted to the court. And there's also documentation of your conversations with the FBI. One of the things you told the FBI is that, and I'm going to read directly from one of the government's documents. And it says, um, McGinty alleged that in addition to favors he had received from Acevedo, he had also received favors from Brown and Norton, the attorneys you're talking about including cash and free legal representation. McGinty stated that in return for these favors, he had given favorable rulings to Brown's and Norton's clients. So respond to that. Well, that is wrong. That is twisting my words. Um, Alan Brown and Jay Norton never did anything corruptly with me. Um, I know that the... FBI agent is putting that down on a piece of paper, but that's not a witness saying something, which is the whole problem I have with the way the, the FBI agent behaved in this case. There is not one instance of a witness giving a statement under oath. All of so far what you've uh, shown me, and I don't know where you got this from, but all that I've seen is what FBI agents allege someone said. And that's not how I was trained, and that's not my experience in the legal world. We deal with what witnesses actually say. Coming up next, the FBI interviews McGinty, but doesn't record the conversations. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 7. My trip to South Dakota was the best summer ever. Now I don't need to go to Mars because I've been to the Badlands. And I caught a bigger walleye than Dad when we went to the Missouri River. Then I rode my bike through these huge rocks called needles. Ooh, I also saw my first herd of bison, even a fuzzy furry baby one. I can't wait to go back and see more. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. So what do you say to the fact that the government was making these arguments in, in light of you – know, you're saying that your attorneys um, had this influence and that that should have been fully investigated, but yet the government is saying that you said they were bribing you too. And I never said that. You're right. I didn't directly answer your, your previous question. No, I never said that. I wish they would have recorded what I said. I wanted to record it, and they wouldn't let me. So wait a minute. You're telling me that you're the target of a FBI investigation, and the FBI agents show up at your house, yes, and they don't record the interview with you? They never recorded anything with me. Brian, they don't record anything with anyone. You have a you have a puzzled look on your face, so let me explain. Uh, that doesn't make any sense to me in this day and age why they wouldn't record um, what the target of their investigation 
as well as other witnesses are saying. Because the law, federal law, allows FBI agents to go in pairs to interview someone. And the law lets them, after the interview, put down in a form that the government has pre-named a 302 form. They let them put down what the witnesses say. It doesn't matter if they're a older, younger, uh, adverse witness, friendly witness, hostile witness, uh, speaks in a different language. The agents will dictate what the witnesses say. So I'm assuming everything you've looked at from your source, none of it are actual statements from people. Now, there was a debriefing of uh, Al Acevedo by FBI agents, but I'm assuming that also was— I saw that. That is a 302. The agents put down what he is alleged to have said. And I want you to, you and your listeners, just to think about that concept for a second. In this day and age, even back when this investigation uh, was going on of the courthouse. 2013, 2014. 2013, We had federal investigations that do not have witnesses describing things live or on 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 uh, uh video instead every single federal case is what the witnesses allegedly told fbi agents and the fbi agents then put it into a 302 form and that is what goes forward so and, and I've, I've been involved uh, as a prosecutor on the state level, as a defense attorney on the state level, and as a criminal district judge on the state level. In the thousands and thousands of cases that I've handled, that my contemporaries have handled, every single one of those involved, not every single one of them, but most of them involved witness statements. Uh, they were, in the old days, they were on a piece of paper and the person signed their name to it. Now they do uh, digital uh, recordings of what the witnesses are saying. So you can actually see them in the interrogation room talking. And those cases were clear to the lawyers and then to the juries what happened in, in a certain case because the witnesses were describing it to you. Yet the feds don't do that. We've got to be the most backwards federal uh, prosecuting country uh, in the world that we rely on, I don't know, what is it, 16th century technology when someone would accuse someone else of witchcraft and they would say, I saw her conjure up an image and that was enough to prosecute hundreds of years ago. But now an FBI agent can put down on a piece of paper what a witness allegedly told him? Well, if the FBI can do that, Brian, let's just do that in the workplace then. Because if it's good enough for the FBI, then it certainly should be good enough for, oh, I don't know, XYZ Corporation. I interviewed this employee, Brian, and Brian told me he likes to look at child porn while he's on the, sh- on the clock here at our company. Well, we clearly had to fire him for that. 
How would that go over in, in, in America's workplace when they could do that? But yet that's what our FBI agents do. I'm sorry for getting on this tangent, but isn't that amazing? I have copies of some of the FBI's 302 forms from their interviews with you or their, their confrontations where they showed up at your house and one is okay. uh, after sentencing. Uh, these documents, uh, again, are still under seal by a federal court and have never been seen publicly. But I'd like to, because the, as, we, as we talked about in, in, uh, before, the bulk of what the government charged you with successfully uh, that you pled guilty to was an exchange of car repairs, car services, um, that Al Acevedo paid for, and then in exchange, you gave him favorable rulings uh, in court cases. In in this, in these FBI documents, this is as you said. This is the agent describing the conversation. Uh, the first one is from January thirty first of two thousand fourteen. I'm assuming that is the night you previously described where they showed up at your door. Yes. It says, uh, Angus McGinty was interviewed at his place of residence after having been advised of the identities of the interviewing agents and the nature of the interview, McGinty provided the following information. McGinty was advised that over the past year, the Federal Bureau of Investigation had been conducting an investigation into allegations of corruption occurring at the Bear County Courthouse. So they advised, they go on to talk about how they advised you of the wiretaps and it says McGinty was also informed that earlier in the investigation, evidence had been developed regarding McGinty accepting bribes from local attorneys, plural. McGinty was then asked to explain how he acquired replacement auto parts for his current vehicle, a 2002 Mercedes-Benz, and from the Performance Auto, and that's located in, in San Antonio, McGinty added that after purchasing the auto parts, he placed the parts inside his vehicle, which were later installed by a mechanic known only to McGinty as Mike. This mechanic was referred to McGinty by attorney Al Acevedo. Now I'll take a brief break and explain that Mike is Mike Otten, uh, who was the mechanic at the time, who we already uh, disclosed was um, he was murdered. Uh, during, yes. while you were uh, awaiting your trial. And we went from a 15-count indictment to a five-count indictment after after his murder. This mechanic was referred to you, uh, was referred by Acevedo. McGinty claimed that he recently provided a check to this mechanic for installing the parts to his vehicle in June of 2013. McGinty further claimed that he made the check out to his mechanic but never got around to delivering the check until recently. Now, I want to stop there because the FBI says that once you figured out that the FBI was on you, you went and tried to pay off the debt to the mechanic, and the FBI has stated in their documentation, aha, that proves that this was a bribe and you were trying to cover it up. So what actually happened is I thought I would get uh, a part put in my car that wouldn't cost anything. An old friend could do it for me and it wouldn't cost him and it wouldn't cost me. After um, 
Jay Norton told me of this investigation into my conduct as well as other judges, I told him that I had this mechanic who had put in a part for me but didn't cost anything. Jay asked me, how much do you think it's worth to have it put in? I told him, I don't know, but maybe a couple hundred bucks. Well, Jay, this FBI, this FBI uh, document says uh, Albert Acevedo actually purchased the auto parts from McGinty's car for $2,200. That is incorrect. I bought the part, and it was in my car. I bought it and put it in uh, wherever I put it, the back seat or the front seat, and I thought it would be put in without a charge to anybody. That was wrong on my part to have such an assumption and to even be involved with someone uh, practicing in my court, even if it was supposed to be uh, uh, free for everyone. Jay Norton told me, go give him a check for what you think it was worth. And so I did, based on his advice. So it goes on to describe how the agent told you um, that they had documented Acevedo um, doing the auto mechanic work. You described Acevedo as being a good friend. Um, but then it, it turns to how it says, McGinty recalled that Acevedo has previously provided approximately $200 to fund a luncheon for McGinty's staff. McGinty stated it is his practice to provide his cell phone number to defense attorneys and encourage them to contact him after hours to, to discuss cases assigned to McGinty. McGinty added that he frequently resolves cases without the involvement of the district attorney's office, only in cases where there are no aggravating circumstances or cases that do not involve a victim. But what they're inferring here is that you were having what they call ex parte communications, which means you weren't doing it on the record. You weren't doing it in the courtroom. And so part of what they're trying to describe that I told them is accurate, but it's, it's all in the, in the, uh, the subtleness of, of what they described. So what we did as judges, what I did, I can only uh, speak to what I did and how I was trained. If a matter does not involve a victim or it's something that I have previously discussed with the DA's office is something that they uh, don't care to participate in, um, then I can have an ex parte communication with someone. For instance, Someone's on probation and they want to be able to leave the county. The DA's office doesn't want to be summoned down on a Wednesday afternoon at 4 o'clock to be able to say yes or no. Now, if it's someone who is on probation for, let's say, DWI, and they uh, have an allegation that they um, blew into their intoxilizer that I had put in their car and it came up uh, positive, they would want to have input on whether or not to revoke that person. So what I told the FBI is only for uh, non-adversarial things would we let defense lawyers talk to us. Other than that, it was protocol that the DA's office is just as involved as the defense lawyers. So the case that wound up being the, the centerpiece of the government's uh, case against you, yeah. was uh, involving a, a defendant named Michael Sanchez, who was charged with sexual assault. And uh, when McGinty was told, but this actually is another another case 
this this isn't the one that involves the one where you were sentencing someone to prison and then had to for the DWI for the DWI. This is McGinty was then asked about recent criminal cases that he presided over in the 144th District Court. Specifically, McGinty was asked about a case involving defendant Michael Sanchez. You remember that case? This is I, the sexual assault. I don't. Uh, he was charged with sexual assault. When McGinty was told that Sanchez's case was dismissed, McGinty stated that the dismissal should have been the result of a hearing where he heard arguments from both parties. When told that the dismissal did not include a hearing, McGinty offered no explanation. See, that is that is so misleading. Do you know how a case in Bear County gets dismissed, Brian? How? An assistant DA files a motion to dismiss. Judges don't have the authority to dismiss a case on their own, period. Let me state that again. Judges don't have the authority to dismiss a case on their own, period. There has to be a motion to dismiss it. That case, as in every single case that was dismissed out of my court, it would have been a Def, uh, a criminal defense, excuse me, it would be an assistant district attorney who would have filed a motion to dismiss, arguing to me that they want the case dismissed. The defense offers no objection. I then have an obligation to dismiss it. Some judges can say, no, I'm not going to dismiss it. But if the DA's office doesn't want to go forward, then how exactly do you go forward on a case that they don't want to pursue? So that is an example of of what they said is what they allege that I said is completely misleading. Why would I not have a response to them saying a sexual assault case was dismissed? Of course I have a response to that. I didn't dismiss it. Now, these <laughs> these documents also uh, have Al Acevedo picked up on wiretap, claiming that in this case for defendant Michael Sanchez, him saying to someone that he was able to get him probation or the case dismissed – uh, by giving you a campaign contribution of $5,000. I can see how uh, Acevedo or any lawyer uh, would say that, um, especially around re-election time. If it behooves them to, to be able to say it, to get into good graces with their client, yeah, I can imagine they would say that. He says um, he directly bribed you in this case with a campaign contribution. And that's, that is a false statement. No one bribed me with a campaign contribution. Campaign contributions are governed by uh, campaign laws. Well, there's and a lot of conversationing in here where Acevedo was saying, not just with you, but with other judges, yeah. that it was, hey, on this case, I really need a whatever. And by the way, you know, dismissal or what, you know, lower bond. By the way, um, I will give five hundred dollars to your to your campaign. Yeah, yeah. and it, and it is quid pro quo, but it's legal. As Judge uh, uh, Xavier Rodriguez said uh, at one of the hearings in my case, the the U.S. attorney uh, uh, he had he had stood up and he had court, he had called it the uh, um, cor- uh, peppercorn the story, the yeah, peppercorn story. That. Right. and that's where the judge said no. Uh, campaign laws are such that a lawyer can give five thousand dollars to a judge the day before he's going to have a big hearing. 
And that is a check written to his campaign fund, and it's legally documented, and the judge puts it in his campaign reports that go to the Texas Ethics Commission. That's legal. But if he gives him a uh, chicken fajita taco right before they go into court, and he says, this taco is because I think you're going to do the right thing in this case, and the judge does quote the right thing, that's illegal. Because of the context. But Acevedo is saying this is quid pro quo. This is if you give my client what I want you to give them, I will give you this money. That's not illegal under any either scenario. Not legal. Right. Okay. Yes, it's not not legal. legal. And and if what you're describing happened, then I would leave it up to those judges to defend themselves on that. uh, Well, Acevedo is saying he did it with you. No. If he gave me a campaign contribution, it's documented and listed uh, with my reports to the Texas Ethics Commission. Not once was it otherwise. Otherwise, Brian, the Texas Ethics Commission would have come after me and told me. So these, let me let me ask you straight out and straight up. In these documents, Acevedo makes claims that he gave you campaign contributions specifically for favorable rulings in cases that he gave you cash. Uh, these are all things of, that, that are not related to car repairs, which is the case that you went down for. Did you ever accept campaign contribution, quid pro quo, directly for an action in a case, or cash from Al Acevedo or any other attorney? No, Brian, I did not. And let me let me correct you when you said... Acevedo claims he didn't claim anything. The agent who wrote, I assume you're looking at a 302? This is the FBI document, yeah. I assume you're looking at something they put together, and they're alleging that's what Acevedo said. But with that said, no, I never did get bribed in that fashion that you're talking about. Now, on that note, you actually submitted an affidavit uh, at the time when these when these FBI documents oh. were created, you you submitted yeah. an affidavit. Yeah, I did. you're not just telling me now that you think that FBI agent is full of shit. You actually told the court that you think he's full of shit, and you put it in this affidavit. And I want you uh, to read this part here, where part? where you okay. the highlighted part where you actually respond to the way the 302 is written in terms of what the FBI agent claims. You were stating. Yeah, I, I didn't know you had this. Yeah, this is the affidavit I submitted to the court, God, years ago, while this was all still going on. I said, Agent Carlisle is twisting my words from the night of January 24th, 2014, when he came to my house. I did not state, this looks really bad. I really feel bad about myself. Carlisle stated it looks bad, and I said that I could see how he would think that. I was upset that he was accusing me of being bribed. I clearly and unequivocally told him that I was not bribed. I told him this repeatedly. Carlisle spoke to me about needing to resign, making a living without a law license, and the effect on my family. What do you think now? That's that's what I've been saying for all these years, but 
After so many years, I get tired of saying it. When we come back, McGinty responds to the FBI's claim that he told them even his own attorneys had bribed. Are you in search of deeper meaning in your life? Longing to manifest your true desires and unlock your full potential? Look no further than Portal Mystico podcast, your gateway to treasure trove of transformative tools, enlightening interviews, and enriching content. I'm your host, Elena Maggio, and it's my heartfelt desire to guide you on this extraordinary journey of self-discovery. And with every episode, I'm passionate about sharing and introducing you to new topics in self-development, metaphysics, astrology, the law of attraction, numerology, interviews that will eliminate your path and fuel your own personal growth. This podcast is your wellspring of inspiration dedicated to help you uncover your purpose with unwavering passion. Together, we'll dive deep into the fascinating topics and explore endless possibilities. Listen to Portal Mystico on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite platform. There also was a statement in the 302s where you claimed, again, going back to uh, your original attorneys that you had been bribed by them. That was, that was in the three Oh twos that you had told them that Jay Norton and Alan Brown, uh, or at least one or the other of them had, had bribed you with an envelope of cash. And that's in the FBI documents. So in your affidavit, you at the time responded, how? I said, in my affidavit that Carlisle's statements about me stating that Alan Brown gave me an envelope of cash is completely and utterly false. Alan had told me of times back in the day, he said, when he went to a judge's house, he never used a judge's name. He went there to get a bond lowered and that after the judge lowered the bond, and signed whatever document necessary to do that, Alan would leave an envelope of cash on the kitchen table. Alan considered that a gift, not bribery, because the judge had already made the decision. Alan Brown, nor Jay Norton, nor any other attorney gave me cash for lowering a bond or for any judicial decision of mine. I told Agent Carlisle this story as it was told to me by Alan Brown. That's what I said in my affidavit. And again, there's no audio recording of the interview by the FBI agent to, to from a third-party perspective, assess who's telling the truth, who's closest to the truth. But at the time, it is noted that you said, no, that I didn't say that. And I can even go before that. Um, and I'll, and, and I'll certainly give you this person's name and you can speak to them and if they want to remain confidential then that's their decision, but confidentially, even before that affidavit, even before my indictment, even before anything of substance had happened on my case, I think it was after the FBI had visited me in January. So it was sometime in April or May after I had resigned in 2014 this person, which is the person that kind of started my suspicions about Alan and Jay, they came to me and told me they suspected that Alan and Jay were 
what's the word that they use? Throwing me under the bus, something like that, because of their own involvement in this investigation. And that's when I relayed to that person the story that Alan Brown had told me of being in some judge's kitchen. So it was it was probably a year before my affidavit. And this person can tell you that that's what I told him because that's the story Alan told me as soon as I had him and Jay on board to defend me. Now we'll talk uh, at another point about uh, your attorney's uh, interaction uh, with the FBI's uh, investigation and what transpired after that. But I want to ask you, um, we've talked about the FBI writing down what they say you said. And of course you take umbrage with, uh, with a good bit of that, obviously. Um, they also picked up wiretaps and text messages and these documents. Um, and some of these have been disclosed. Some of these quotes I'm about to read have been disclosed, um, in the public filings. Okay. Um, the most, uh, inflammatory of which is a text that you sent to Al Acevedo where you said, well, I'm a whore for money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, uh, I, I remember them putting that in. And, uh, well, that's not the worst thing I said. I, I'm sure I'm, I'm glad the FBI didn't include all the F-bombs I throw around all the time. But uh, with that said, yeah, they, they put a text in, but it's out of context. If, if, uh, if I would have been having a conversation with someone about how uh, frugal I was, and I wanted to say something tongue-in-cheek about that, that would be this type of response. But I'll be honest with you, Brian. I don't remember what the, com- the, the words that I used that preceded that, but they took a text and just put that one text in, but didn't give you the context of it. Hey, uh, Angus, we're going to... Uh, uh, we're going to bring you a big pile of money. Do you want it? Yes, I'm a whore for money. That would have been bad. But instead, what if it's something innocuous? And I don't know what it was because I don't remember. But they took something out of context. And the argument that I made to my appellate attorney is that it's like they're taking part of a conversation that if you told someone – you know, Brian, I hate that I haven't seen you in such a long time. They took only I hate you and left everything else out. But the context is important. So, yes, I can imagine I said something like that. I probably said a whole lot worse to my friends, <laughs> to tell you the truth. So, no, I'm not a whore for money while I was on the bench. That is not true. But you talk about saying the, the the most stupid thing I could say during that investigation, that would probably be it. So you say you didn't take money for campaign contributions in exchange for favorable rulings. You say you didn't take cash uh, from Al Acevedo or any other attorney. But what you did plead guilty to and what you have said, yes, I, I did do these things, relates to um, a little over $7,000 in Car repair, car service, car things related to the vehicle or vehicles that you had. Um, what is it that you want to say about one, one car? 
One car. It all, right. all involved one vehicle. And the amount they're alleging, it was a 12-year-old car. It wasn't, it wasn't worth $7,000 that But it was claiming. the dollar value of what was right, going into right. the work. That- and and I, I contest that. Yes, I was stupid and had a, a friend tell me he could get a part put in my car and it wouldn't cost him or me. And it was at or about the same time that he was practicing in my court. That's the stupid thing that I did. Emphasis on stupid. But $7,000? I don't think so. So when, when I read In this, fact, go I don't know if I've told you this. There's a mechanic that they took this car to when, they, when I was starting to contest these things and I had my, my new lawyer. I call him the appellate lawyer, but David actually was representing me in front of Judge Rodriguez, and then he also did my appeal. So it's, 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 it's fair to say he was my second lawyer for the accusations as well as my appellate lawyer. Okay, he did both. But when it started to – when I switched lawyers, the FBI agent took my car to a mechanic on bidders. And I, I, I don't know if I've given you his name or his number, but I can because I know exactly where it is. And that mechanic, when the FBI agent brought him my car and said, this is what we're alleging was done to this car, what's the value? The new mechanic either told him zero or something that offended the agent. And the agent got into an argument with him and threatened him is what the story was given to me. This mechanic called his lawyer, who had represented him on a misdemeanor, I think, and that lawyer knew me and told me. And so I knew that the agent was trying to shop around to get the value of what he says was done to be as high as he could when, in fact, it wasn't. So I'll give you the, I'll give you the shop information. Now, in the course of your attorney's investigation, they could have asked for the FBI's uh, records relating to their approach of this other mechanic. Did they ever do that? No. Coming up on our next episode, how other judges in San Antonio were implicated in the FBI's investigation and how word of that investigation was leaked to the very same judges it was targeting. And he told me that the FBI was investigating the Bear County Courthouse. They were uh, investigating a whole host of people. I'm investigative reporter Brian Collister, and this is How to Bribe a Judge, the podcast.